Welcome to episode 28 of the CowCast Listener Q&A. Welcome back. I'm Eric. I am James. And we are back in the main studio, a.k.a. the shop. The corner table. That's right, the corner table, the best table in the house. Uh, We've got two different questions that we're going to talk about today. Uh, Both come from listeners. The first one comes from our friend Sam. And his uh, it was kind of mixed into a statement that we had over the comic book page Slack channel, which I I really liked. Part of our conversation in his statement goes along the lines of, uh, longtime radio host and DJ Eddie Trunk uh, has been talking about something he sees in the music industry. And he said, I'll never understand why some artists start promo, especially radio, months before an album can be purchased, forgotten by the time it's out. Do you? Do we, James, you and I, think that this applies to comics? Um, Sam says he's thought this for years and stated it in different ways, but it's always, uh, if it's always something in the future, then the now what uh, the now what customers can actually buy is quickly forgotten and will have no lasting impact. It, so what are your thoughts? The, the pre-marketing, I mean, obviously, we mm-hmm. live in a certain era of ordering. We kind of talked about this, well, sort of talked about this when we were talking about how Marvel said, you know, artists don't move the needle anymore. And I kind of compared comics to the music industry in a certain way, I think that it's, uh, we can keep, keep the comparison up. Uh, although Eddie Trunk is definitely a guy who's all about promotion. There's no doubt about that. Uh, self-promotion a lot of times. I don't mind Eddie Trunk, but, um, man, that guy loves Kiss. Um, anyway, I think that there are, there are comparisons. See, the, the music industry now is, is so much different than it was even five years ago or 10 years ago especially 20, 30 years ago, I don't think you have nearly as many artists putting out promos three, four months ahead of an album because a lot of them are putting albums out. And they're switching over to a completely different business model where they're releasing... Why release an album with two singles when you can release a single every four months? You know, you can put... Four, four songs out a year that you know will get radio play or satellite radio play or Pandora or Spotify play or whatever you have. And you don't have to sit there and record an album. You don't have to do a album tour for it. You know, you, you take all that traditional promotion out of the equation. And there are so many artists, even longtime artists, that said that they are going to be switching over to the model of just releasing singles. Uh, off the top of my head, I know, talking about somebody who I've seen and been buying since they were started putting albums out, Rob Zombie says that's where he's going to be in a few years. He's done recording albums. He's just going to put singles out. Now, I think metal is one of the few genres that's going to be kind of exempt from uh, from this sort of new way of releasing music. Because metal tends, among many other reasons, metal tends to have, um, you know, be completely geared away from popular music. You know, you're not playing, uh, and I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about stuff that you hear on the radio, like 
five finger death punch. I'm talking about things like bands like Power Trip and Havoc and like stuff that's like real metal that would never get played on the radio anyways. Those guys are going to keep putting albums out and they're going to keep touring for them. And metal fans are going to keep buying albums. Metal is a, a, another great, you can make another great analogy to, to collectors with comic book collectors with uh, metal collectors in that they, we love to pay for, we'll buy the vinyl, we'll buy the CD, we'll buy all the t-shirts, we'll buy everything, you know, and then we'll, we'll shell out extra get, to get signed versions. Look at Slayer fans, you know, um, look at Iron Maiden. I'm Iron looking Maiden. at a Slayer fan right now. Yeah, Iron Maiden, even bigger Iron Maiden fan. Us Iron Maiden fans, every, every other year Maiden puts out new live albums. It's the same stuff. Or they'll put out remastered albums, or they'll put out um, an album. They'll put out a picture, a new picture disc for a vinyl, and then you, we eat it up, we buy it. Um, I where am I going with this? Is that comic books are a little bit different in many, in some ways, uh, and similar in other ways. But I think comic books are less resistant to this kind of promotional switch that music is going through. Because a comic book is still something that is going to be, it's going to be consumed when it's released. A, a song, yes, you could make the argument that some songs have narratives to them. But a comic book, the story has a narrative. Often it fits into a larger continuity. A comic is going to be something, whereas a song you're going to throw on in the background, maybe it's catchy, maybe it has a hook that gets stuck in your head. You listen to it for a couple of months. I mean, in the past, again, when albums would be put out or song, singles would be put out ahead of time, ahead of three, four months ahead of an album, it was so you could build up that heavy radio play, maybe generate more singles. And then when the album comes out, everybody buys the album. And you have you have um, bands like Def Leppard who have five or six hit singles off. The Hysteria, I think, had five had six hit singles off of it. Um, Michael Jackson, look how many singles he had that came off of uh, albums. But the just like the era of super uh, super tours, giant bands selling out giant arenas all over the world is kind of coming to an end. The, uh, the day of people putting out two or three singles months ahead of time for promotion for an album is changing because people don't digest the music that they're getting through radio anymore primarily or if they do it tends to be an older demographic it tends to be people that don't have satellite radio they don't they're not listening to spotify or pandora they're still listening to 1029 or 103.7 or 96.5 which hat tip i believe um garth brooks still holds the stance that his albums will not be on itunes or spotify because he wants his albums to be consumed as an entire narrative as a story didn't Taylor Swift say that though too? And then, I don't pay attention to her. I do. Well, anyways, that's fine. But anyway, so yeah, that, not musically. But I, I think that there's a. I think you're right. I think that the model for music has changed, uh, in that sense, where a lot of the musicians that we have now, and and we even see it from, uh, you know, month to month, where a band will be together, then they'll break apart, form a different band, then come back together, go solo. There's just a lot more movement as well, where you can drip these singles out it's a lot easier as opposed to having to sit in the studio mm -hmm. you know write and then record an album and master and mix it and then push it out and promote it that's just a, it's very different look at the bands from the 70s and the 80s and even the 90s 
your bands like Kansas and Journey and Boston in the 70s, they they got big. Everybody, you can look at those album covers and you know the singles that were off them. Mm-hmm. You know Don't Look Back and you know uh, more than Don't a Stop Believing, More Than a Feeling and, and Dust, Dust in, in the, the Wind. Wind. Exactly. Carry On My Wayward Son. People know those because those were the singles that came out and then everyone went out and bought the album. Yep. Not, and I own all of those on vinyl. I, I, I love collecting that stuff. But at the same time, most people are going to have a very hard time naming any song off of those albums other than those singles. That's why people went out and bought the albums because of the single. Because it, it took over the radio, you know, and, and it, it's become a complaint ever since I was old enough to listen to the radio that the same station plays the same 10 songs over and over and over again, right? Which did give you an advantage when we were younger and you had your cassette deck to record and you could hear that intro and click hit the play and record button sure, to try and catch it. Did, it. it did. But music, but again, by and large, there's just not enough. It's it's just like um, uh, what do they what do they call when people get uh, vaccinated? They call it like herd immunity, yeah. where all you have to do is is vaccinate a certain amount of people, and then you kind of close off the ability for whatever you're vaccinating against to get out into the the population and really take over. Um, it's kind of the same thing now with music, where there just aren't enough people that are digesting. The music through such a small amount of channels comics there are more channels than ever to di- to digest that stuff just like with music yep. but at the same time it's still kind of a focused narrative there are more bands than ever there are more ways than to ever before it. to consume it for those bands to reach a listener but the problem is there's so much more stuff to sift through in the past yep. it, it was a very was selective amount of things yep. correct that were funneled and often through i mean we talk about promotion the record company pays a dj to run this or or the uh, weekly top 40 this. exactly exactly i mean look at casey Kasem. he yep. made his entire career off of doing that casey Kasem would be irrelevant in the music industry today uh the, i guess maybe not completely there are top 40 on radio stations but not enough people listen to them to drive album sales right so comic books to, to close all that off i think promotionally um whether it's leaking or releasing i should say four pages uh, of a PDF of an upcoming image book to CBR or Bleeding Cool running the first two pages of next week's Walking Dead or whatever it is. I don't think that that necessarily hurts a book. I think it gives because you're pushing a narrative over a, a catchy hook in your head. People are going to buy the buy the comic anyways. Also, if we really want to keep making this comparison, I would say that you're monthly comic book is going to be more comparable to a single than to um than to an album because if we look at the trade is the compilation of of the the six seven eight twelve issues that's just like the album that you're buying so it's kind of comics have kind of always been i just realized this comics have always kind of been um a singles mentality, you know, and, and I used to buy singles too. A band would put out a, a, even for metal, you know, a band would put out a new song that I, I wanted to check out. I'd go out and pay the four ninety nine for the single and you'd get one new track and then some terrible remix or cover or something on the B side. But it was something that you wanted that new music. So you paid for it. You were excited about it. Um, I think comics, I don't think promotion hurts talking about things like, Secret Empire, Metal. You have an, something to interject? Well, yeah, I guess I just I wanted to say that I think um, 
similar to what you were saying, my response is that when it comes to comics, uh, they're a more serial type item than music, mm-hmm. right? Because you can go from single to single mm-hmm. and have drastically different feels and different narratives within each each single. Uh, and I also think that with music, a lot of the whole promotional idea was to serve as an on-ramp to that music. You're getting hooked on that music. Whereas uh, the way that it seems to be treated, by and large, with previews and this two-month promotion or three-month or sometimes five-month, depending on who the creator is and what the book is, Dark Knight 3, Master Race, um, you know, there's, that's, it's not used so much as an on-ramp as it is... Just that pre-ordering mentality of, hey, here's what's coming next. Here's what's mm-hmm. coming next. You're already on the book. Um, yes, with first issues of ARCs, they try and get folks on. And, of course, with the, the first issues, you're trying to get people on. But, you know what, people now that are buying Donny Cates are going to buy Donny Cates. People that are buying Batman are going to buy Batman. And, by and large, a huge promotional push uh, isn't going to do a whole lot. Whereas a huge promotional push for a single can do quite a bit to take an artist that's never been heard of before, Carly Rae Jepsen, and all of a sudden make her household name not saying it's good bad or other just saying that's an example Uh right so i think that there is a fundamental difference in that um and and with that that kind of lends credence to my theory that i've held internally with myself is that the number one killer of a serialized nature of anything is a delay right if you have a book that's supposed to be coming out monthly and there's a two month three month delay if you have non-player that comes out and then 19 months later issue two comes five out or years. five years later yeah, issue two comes out that's gonna kill it that that that's totally the killer we still love non-player though we if do Nate simpson's listening we want another issue we do well, we, have, we, have a, does. we have a poster that nate simpson was kind enough to send to us up on, at the shop but when you're in a serial beautiful narrative art. beautiful art. it is when you're in a serial narrative it's that timing that's the most important the mm-hmm. promotion is there for helping of ordering in my opinion with comics and a small part of on-ramp. It is, it is to a point, I think there's a big difference. Well, if you look at big events, so Dark Knight Metal is something that DC has, has been whipping up. So really, I mean, when C2E2, that was April 20th, 21st, yep. something like that. So since the... Better part of two and a half months. Right, right, since the end of April. And for the longest time, you have to remember that people didn't even know what the hell it was. And they didn't know what the breakdown of the issues were what the checklist was they didn't even know what's the difference between dark knights we've talked about this before mm-hmm. and now there's actually a checklist out and there are a lot of kind of weird sounding one shots and some random issues that tie in but they've done a good job a good enough job keeping it like every everything has it's still kind of vague everything has been vague though about this entire event but everything that's been coming out has lived up to the expectations. Like there hasn't, it hasn't been a letdown. Um, you know, the the button was something that got a lot of press and that lived up to expectations and it, it outsold expectations, I think. Dark Knight's... Um, Master Race? No, Dark Knight The Forge. Oh, The Forge, yeah. That came out, that did really, really well. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, I think a lot, a, a big part of it, and I can't believe I'm still saying this, is that it was built with coming with a metal cover, you know, that believe it or not, actually sold a lot of copies, but either way, they've been touting this event that people didn't really know what it was or what it was about for months. And it's been a success. And I think a lot of that maybe has to do with the fact that nobody knew what it was. 
well, how it was being promoted heavily, but, but no one knew what it was. It was. Being promoted. And it right. was right. And it it's kind of like you know, movie trailers now when you see a trailer, they give away the whole movie. It's kind of like uh, beat by beat what's gonna happen. And anyone who's seen a dozen movies in the last couple of years, you can generally look at a at any big studio trailer and pretty much guess Especially when they're doing three or four trailers per movie now. Right. Like Star Wars. Right. You can guess what's going to happen, in what order it's going to happen. Dark Knight Metal is kind of like the old teasers of the the 70s, where it was maybe 60 seconds. You might see a random random scene, um, kind of a a goofy narrator, kind of just giving vague descriptions of things. And you knew who who the cast was, you know. And it drove... Look at the trailer for Alien. Mm -hmm. Very, very effective. It just... It doesn't give anything away. It's, just, it's a horrifying trailer. Dark Knight Metal was great at promotion, at kind of getting the branding out there and getting everyone to talk about it, but not know what it was. They knew, just like an old trailer, they knew who the cast was. They knew that the cast was Jim Lee and Greg Capullo. They knew that JRJR and Scott Snyder Kubert. and Kubert were involved in some way, shape, or form. Secret Empire, though is a great example where it's kind of the other way around where it had an incredible amount of promotion, but it's it's going backwards. It, yep. it came out of the gates huge, and now it's dropping, 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 dropping. We've talked about this before. We talked about um, in, our, in one of our episodes that we ordered extremely heavy for the first couple of issues, and we, we did very well on them. We sold through quite a bit of them. Now we're down to ordering 12 issues of Secret Empire. And we're even thinking about FOCing some of those down because we're just not seeing the interest that that was out there. And everybody knew what Secret Empire was going into it. And it gave everyone the time and the ability to criticize it, to look into the story, to get a lot of bad buzz or bad hype out there about the story. And it didn't do it any, any good. So I've seen the current events, we have two examples of where Promotion played a is, big part. They both it played a big part in both of them, but promotion helped one and hurt the other. Um, one of them you knew way too much, and the other one you didn't know much at all. And the one that you didn't know much about is the one that tantalized people, and they wanted to know more about it. They were very curious. Yeah, and I think one of the things too that's interesting with the DC piece is, and I don't know if that was intentional either. I don't know if that was just a byproduct of them trying to figure out that checklist. I didn't mean to cut you off. No, no. It just occurred to me that I don't know if that was even something that they had. I guarantee, in fact, that they didn't sit down and they said, let's be vague and and let's be kind of coy about this whole thing and, and let people... Um, yes and no. I mean, if you watch the videos that they put up, you know, with Scott Snyder and Jim Lee and then the one with Dan DiDio, uh, both of those videos played it coy intentionally. Like, there were times where Scott would look yeah. at Jim and say, um, should I... No, I'm going to save that. So I think they had, if I was to give it a percentage, I would say they were 85% of where they were going. And that last 15% was just kind of getting pieced together and getting the last thing slotted. I but, mean, it, I, but isn't promotion generally, the best type of promotion is going to be that elevator pitch? You can sum up whatever yeah, you're they selling that. to somebody in 30 seconds. And they did that. They did that on the video, the Scott Snyder one, they, where they gave well, the they teaser kind, they kind of metal did. and who the key components were going to be. But then all the offshoot stuff they left completely out. Yeah, but Secret Empire had a, uh, an incredibly better elevator pitch. Think about it. Matter this. of opinion. I, I'm I'm not saying that the, the the end 
product was any better at all. Quite the opposite. But I'm just saying as an elevator pitch. No, but I sat in the metal session with you. And I sat in the Secret Empire session with you. And the elevator pitch is not only the words you hear, but the energy behind it. Right? The energy that's exuded on stage. Yeah, but we have a different... We have a different... We have a different uh, viewpoint than your average fan that isn't exposed to those types of events and those types of retailer settings. And so... So let's I, go do a live... Oh, that's right. We can't do a live poll. We're on a podcast. We can't. But my, my point is, just going according to the elevator pitch, if you're a, a casual fan looking online, what is Secret Empire? What is Dark Days or Nights or whatever? Metal. It's really easy to say Secret Empire is Captain America who is retroactively, because of the Cosmic Cube, been turned into an agent of Hydra. And he leads a Hydra takeover of the world and the Marvel... Heroes have to fight against Captain America. And nothing will ever be the same again. This yeah. will have lasting impacts forever. You're 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 trying to argue, but you're proving my point. <laughs> it was a better elevator pitch. It was a thirty second elevator pitch that that worked initially. But the point was that the product itself was less than worthy. The product was subpar. Mm-hmm. They did their job in getting people to want to check the product out, but the product didn't meet expectations. Whereas there were the expectations for metal, I don't think there are a lot of expectations, but I think that there's a lot of there's anticipation and anticipation because they didn't have that elevator pitch. So again, um, and then I'm, I'm well, I'll finally turn it back over to you. But That's I think right. if you look at what Secret Empire did, they did a, Marvel did a tremendous job at summing up a very very rather simple plot. And they got people to check it out, but it just didn't it didn't hold anyone's interest. So and I and I see what you're seeing with the elevator pitch, however, um, you know, I'm I'm gonna take the whole pitch into account with it because no one just got an elevator pitch on these. Everyone got beyond that. So what we found out in the Marvel session with Secret Empire was that it was Nick Spencer telling this story and that all we kept hearing throughout the course of the presentation after that thirty second elevator pitch was glow in the dark cosmic cubes. The changing trade dress on the the issues. Yeah, but and we it was knew just, all that before we went into. We knew what Secret Empire was well right. before we went. But it into was that. gimmick after gimmick after gimmick after gimmick. And mm-hmm. what did we hear in the DC session? It was all about we're going to explore nth metal. We're going to take things to a different place that we haven't gone. There's something going on in Gotham that nobody knows about, mm-hmm. and now we're going to expose it. We know that these are the characters that are going to be and involved. They had, and they had the creators there. That and were it was just it amped was up hype after hype after hype about what this event's going to be without. Giving it all away. Yeah. You know, it was, it wasn't, it was. But again, that's, that's retailers in a retailer presentation. But who's selling it? Retailers Retailers are selling it. But at the same time, we can reach, we are, it's a very, very, very small minority of comic fans that are listening to podcasts like ours. I'm sure that there's at least dozens of people listening to us. Just like. The Never Nudes. There's dozens of us. Yeah, um, yeah it would be great if there were thousands of people that were influenced by listening to podcasts like ours. So However, we should, what we should say is, everyone listening, find a friend and share it with them. Okay, that's... Yeah, there you go. Perfect. But That'll get us at least we, 30 people. But I just think that you, it's kind of erroneous to, to talk about... We got a great bit of energy and we got to meet... Uh, well, we didn't really meet, I guess, but we got to hear from all these creators involved behind it. On the Marvel side, we got David Gabriel and some marketing guys showing us a PowerPoint presentation. The, it, what it boils down to, we're talking about promotion. And that's 
you're somebody who's involved in the corporate world. I've been involved in the corporate world. There's a big difference between what is promoted to the consumer and what is promoted to the middlemen. And we, in this instance, are the middlemen. So if we're talking about promotion, promotion is in the context that I think that the question was asked is supposed to reach the consumer. And yes, you can make the argument that we're also consumers. No, but, but I'm, I'm going to say that our promo- the promotion that we got goes beyond us because it was on Bleeding Cool 20 minutes after it happened. Photos, full quotes, everything. Mm-hmm. It was on Bleeding Cool. It was on CBR. It was on the channels that people are listening to. The videos that were made by DC were to be shared with everyone, and we shared them. Countless other. There were 200-some shares on some of those videos, which sure. that's a lot of shares on a closed group in Facebook to share out to, to fans. Mm-hmm. Um, so I I do think that the promotion was equal. I think, and I think we can say that the promotion was more successful for one than the other. Right. So I, I don't think that one did it better than the other from a standpoint of quick elevator pitch, because it was much more than that mm-hmm. because of the way that media is consumed now. Although it's honestly, not we, just, don't have, we don't have the numbers to quantify. We're not going to know until metal comes out. If metal right. was, and right. we have ordered the exact same amount of copies of Metal, number one, as we did Secret Empire. The exact same number. Yep. So if anything, we're going to be able to have a pretty apt comparison once all is said and done. Now, to go back to a previous Marvel event to just prove my point about delays killing things, Secret Wars. We talked about that. When mm-hmm. that was coming out and that hit its delays and its massive delays, same thing with Civil War Two. When those hit their delays, our sales tanked. I mean, they were going oh, yeah. down slowly, but they were escalated. And that is that is where, to me, the promotion dies. Because you build a buzz, no matter what it is, you're going to have losses over time, right? Mm-hmm. I'm sure that there's bands that you listen to through their first, second, third album. They got to the fourth one, and you're like, not so much. The fifth one, I'm not even going to buy it. Sure. You know, that's going to happen regardless of what kind of media it is, right? So, and we were talking about TV shows before we we started this recording. MASH is a great example. Started off as a very heavy humor and ended on a very, very serious drama note. There were people that dropped off. I mean, they all came back for that last episode because I think it, if it's not the highest, it's still one of the top three highest uh, viewed Yeah, I don't know if Seinfeld beat that or not. I don't know. But anywho, regardless, um, it doesn't matter if you do no promotion or a ton of promotion. If you can't meet your your timing, your deadline, the serialized nature of things, you're going to lose interest. So all Mm -hmm. that work is for naught. And then in the case of Secret Wars, you've got books that are coming out that are based on the outcomes of Secret Wars before the ending of Secret Wars. That's just a cluster. No, it's true. So, I, I think again, timing plays a good, a big piece of it too. It's very true. But promotion, come remember, it comes in many forms, and I think that we, yep. I'm I'm happy to lay it at. Um, we've seen how the big companies have approached. I don't think that there's promoting a book three, four months ahead of time. I don't think is a bad thing as long as you believe in your product. Agreed. But it's just like anything else when you try to sell people. A piece of crap and tell them that it's a piece of gold they're not gonna so let's go beyond dc and marvel let's talk about some of the other publishers because i think that that brings an additional challenge right they don't have the clout and the notoriety of dc or marvel they don't have the a lot of times enough television shows they don't have movies um obviously walking dead and preacher both have tv shows uh preachers concluded 
I would, you know, right now though, I'd argue that image probably has, um, whether it's, you know, real or completely false, they have more of an imagined pedigree than I think your average Marvel or DC new event book from Marvel or DC would have. Absolutely. 100% agree. And, um, and I think that's just because of the varied nature of what they're publishing, Mm -hmm. right? It's, it's everything superhero, non-superhero. It's, it's all over the place. And I think that that helps. And then you've got a lot of big names who have basically stopped writing for the big two and gone over there. You've got Brubaker being a great example of that, who signed an exclusive with Image. So what's where where are you seeing one of these other companies or some of these other... What's an example of them doing a, a kind of a long-term promotion that worked or didn't work? Um, I think... Well, we've got... I, I can think of two different examples, and I don't know if either of them worked. It'd be interesting to get your take. So... Let's say, let's talk about Doctor Who with Titan, and let's talk about the the Hasbro universe with IDW. Oh, sure. I think that um, one of them requires very little promotion. Mm-hmm. It's more of an awareness of we're publishing Doctor Who titles, and the Whovians will flock in most cases. Whereas the Hasbro was a lot of buildup. I mean, just a ton of media stuff thrown at us. And kind of, yeah. It, I mean, the bar was set. I don't even know if the bar was set really high, but the bar was set, and it just fizzled. I think we can, as a store, we can push things on people. We can. I've said this before. We can push things that we're passionate about, and it's hard to push things you're not passionate about. But I think there are certain properties, certain books, titles that. It doesn't matter how passionate you are about them. I mean, we could have every person that came in, if everybody that worked here was super passionate about selling mask, mask, or um, even the one that had uh, revolutions, I think, that had all of them in it. I really don't think we'd be able to sell more than one or two other copies to people because it's just something that's not, it's not interesting. Now, in light, again, licensed property is something we've discussed before as well. What we see with people that come in to buy licensed properties tend to be an interest in the older product. Transformers, they want that original Marvel run. Yep. Um, or even the, the Dreamwave, Pat Lee stuff. Or, you know, with... I don't even think... I think a property like Mask or in Humanoids, we might be able to sell some of the toys if we got vintage toys in, but I don't think you can ever transfer translate some of that stuff over into comic sales because... They're just, the market doesn't exist. It doesn't exist or... It's a very small... It's a very small small market. So in that instance, it's a smart move for them to try to consolidate them into a shared universe. But you take, you know, property, even Transformers. Transformers is on fifth or sixth giant multi-million dollar movie that they're putting out almost every year at this point or every two years. And it's a book that maybe caps out at 10,000 copies sold on a new number one after a relaunch, you know, and that'll settle back down to five or 6,000 copies per issue. You just, there are some things that will just never translate over into, and there, and again, to go back, I remember when the Dreamwave uh, Generation 1 series first came out and Transformers was unbelievably hot. It was the right time to capitalize on the right bit of nostalgia with the right people. And that was when I was somebody who had grown up with Gen 1 and People a little bit older than me had grown up with Gen 1. We had just started really getting disposable income. 
it was the again the right product for the right time, but I don't think it's something that it's just not saleable to our customer base, and it's not. And if you if you look at a product like that that struggles to break ten thousand copies on a relaunch, a big well promoted relaunch, mm-hmm. I don't think there's ever anything that they're really going to be able to do to move to 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 break that number. I just don't think it's possible. Doctor Who is another one where there's plenty of interest. And it it's kind of like the, the productivity curve where we could spend we could spend a lot of time and a lot of energy trying to sell people on Doctor Who. And we have we have it's it's got its own spot now. We after we did the podcast talking about licensed material, we made an entire display of licensed material. Yep. And it doesn't hasn't moved anything. The same people come and buy it. They right. buy in the same pattern. And the people that come in that want to buy Doctor Who and don't know where it is, they ask, and we could have directed them to the old location just as well as the new one. If we want to talk about the productivity curve, we could just as easily spend the amount of time that it would take to sell someone on Doctor Who who's not actively seeking Doctor Who on Secret Empire or Dark Knight's Metal or one of those bigger events, and we're going to be able to sell two or three times as many copies. We're going to have more people that are more receptive to that franchise or that property than Doctor Who. Mm -hmm. And so from the productivity point of, of view... It's just going to be. It's going to be easier. It's going to be worth worth our time to push these other properties that are outselling themselves more. You know, just like when you go to the grocery store, you go into any kind of just about any kind of store that sells a generic version of a product and a name brand version of a product. Which version are they going to have front and center at their end caps for you to, to see? It's going to be the name brand version, the the generic or the specialized product tends to be in the bottom or at the top. And the reason for that is if you carry Doritos, you don't have to spend money to advertise Doritos. Doritos spends millions and millions of dollars every year to advertise Doritos. They're advertising your product for you. Well, in the grocery world, it's a little different in most stores because you actually have to pay for your placement. And it costs more to be at eye level than it does to be down at the bottom. I was a store manager. so And I stopped at a grocery stores. store. So I, I do know a little bit about that. Not as much, but... but but to your point, the, it's just like time. buying Nike shoes versus some other off-brand shoes. Right. Nike is a household name. They advertise on television all the time. They don't say, go to Famous Footwear and buy Nike. Mm-hmm. They say, Nike, just and, do it. And another thing to keep in mind, too, with a lot of those brand names is that they have a... If you're a corporate store, corporate grocery store, we'll just use that, keep using that example. Sure. They already have a deal in place right. with the... You're, right. They are going you to get, get such and such facings. Correct. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. It's, not, it's not so much that they're going to be paying extra to get more spots in a, not a giant superstore that's opening because they're probably already guaranteed to have such and such right. percentage of that aisle spacing or uh, end caps per month or what, what yeah. have you. Right. But anyways, it makes sense to do that because they're the ones spending the money to advertise the name brand. Right. It's and recognition. It's branding, which is the most important, all-powerful thing when you're trying to sell product. Branding, well, an enthusiasm in a specialized market like ours is... is Almost equally as important. But to use that example, Doctor Who is a comic versus us putting Batman as a comic and an end cap. If we were a grocery store, 
we're going to have so many more people buying Batman, it's not even funny. Now, let, let me just play devil's advocate, or I guess ask this question, it's not really devil's advocate. What if it was, this is a long stretch, so bear with me and everyone that's going to groan and, and twitch a little, I'm sorry, but what yeah. if it was Marvel's Doctor Who? As in, it was Doctor Who with the Marvel wrapping on it. And when you watch Doctor Who on BBC, it, it said Marvel Studios. Well, Marvel used to have Doctor Who in the 70s. Right. Well, uh, 70s or early 80s when they had Mar- uh, Marvel premiere. So what if it still was? Because I feel like lately there's been a little bit of a resurgence with Doctor Who. Um, but if it, if it was branded in the Marvel package, it was in the Marvel previews, it was you know blasted by you Marvel. Would, you would have... The obvious comparison to make would be Star Wars. Because Star Wars was a product that Dark Horse was not selling very much of. Disney buys uh, Lucasfilm. Disney owns Star Wars. So now Star Wars goes in-house at Marvel. Although, we know we've got Star Wars Adventures going to IDW. IDW. A sign of things to come, perhaps. But um, Marvel goes all out on the Star Wars relaunch. Mm -hmm. And it ends up being... It sells gangbusters. Huge, huge launch. What happens after that, though, is, and I think that there are two ways to look at this. I think you can look at Star Wars still selling really well, but the problem is you're comparing it against Marvel's superhero line, which is at inarguably a low point for the company, right? There's not much. I think I mean, the just, more... just shy of maybe like Jim Shooter coming on board or right before, you know, right before they got Star Wars. Back in the seventies, I don't think Marvel's been at a lower point than they are now. Receptively, I mean, yeah. as, as far as their public perception goes, right now. Um, but my my point is, Star Wars is doing really well, but it's being compared against stuff that isn't doing very well. Mark by the company they're in. That's why the better comparison is Marvel Star Wars versus Dark Horse Star Wars. Well, and it's it. Marvel Star Wars beats Dark Horse's Star Wars sales-wise, hands down, any day of the week. Which is why I ask, does Marvel's Doctor Who beat Titan's Doctor Who sales-wise? No, because Doctor Who and, and Star Wars is like comparing um, a sandwich that you make in your kitchen to going out and getting filet mignon at a you know five-star restaurant. You can't compare the two of them. Doctor Who's kind of a kitschy cult classic. Uh, versus one of the largest film franchises in movie history. Every you go to you talk about branding. When Force Awakens came out, you went into the grocery store. We're gonna keep going back to grocery store. We can pick literally any other store type for this. Sour cream had Yoda on it. Mac and cheese had Darth Vader. You had bags of chips that had R two D two. You had Star Wars everywhere on everything. Everyone wanted to pay money to brand. Their stuff with the Star Wars license because evidently someone at whatever company it was thought that branding their sour cream with Yoda was going to make it stand out against the competitors. So they paid money to get that license to put it on their vat of sour cream. Doctor Who is not going to be moving product in the grocery store. It does not have the name, the brand recognition. It, it Not in America. I don't know about in the UK because yeah, but let's talk about what we know and and let's and who are you going to who where is there a lot more money? There's a lot more money in the American market than there is in the UK market. Well, sure, of course, but so I'm just saying. I think that I I would I would say you could package 
Doctor Who with a Marvel wrapping, put it in Marvel previews, and it will sell better than it does at Titan. It could be 10 issues. It could be 10,000 issues. But I guarantee you it will sell better. Well, the license, the license holder is going to look at who's going to, who's going to do more for the property. I think I, the license holder is going to look at who wants to buy the license. I don't think Marvel has any interest in buying the license. No, I, I agree with you. And that's kind but of if where they I was did, going to go. If they did, do you think they would say, well, we could go with Titan or we can go with Marvel? Now, I'm going Titan's a, a British company, so fine. That's probably got some stuff. But there's a UK Marvel brand out there. Um, but the point still remains. If Marvel brings their saddlebags full of bullion to the table and Titan brings theirs... What do you think makes a better business sense move? So, full, taking the question full circle, could Marvel promote a Doctor Who that would sell as well as your average Marvel title? Is that what you're saying? Are you uh, better no. selling Marvel titles? I'm, I'm saying, a, I'm theorizing or hypothesizing that a Marvel packaged, promoted, and sold Doctor Who in the American market would sell better than Titan. It would, but there's no... But the so promotion is not just that elevator pitch. It also has to do with where it's coming from, because we talked about no, Dark because Horse. the elevator because you're still going to have the elevator pitch. Otherwise, I'm not saying it's not it, a part of it. But I'm otherwise, saying, you're just selling it as Marvel's Doctor Who, and people are going to go, okay, the same people that like Doctor Who aren't going to. It's going to be the same. Pro- it'll be the same problem as with Secret Empire. If people aren't buying Doctor Who now. Why are they going to be suddenly interested in Marvel's Doctor Who? The the pitch and the promotion might get them to check it out, but they're still going to. If they don't like Doctor Who, or they're totally apathetic towards Doctor Who, they'll they'll get that first issue of Marvel's Doctor Who, and they're going to go, ah, eh. yeah. But if you get one out of a thousand, got a new reader. One out of a thousand is so not worth the amount of money that would have to be put in to get that promotion. So it wouldn't even. It's, I mean, if you're selling thirty four hundred of an issue now. And you sell sixty thousand on a relaunch. Yeah, but if by the third issue you're back down to eight thousand, you're still five thousand ahead of where you were. Yeah, but how much money have you sunk into it? How much money went into getting the license? How much money went into buying? I, I, I mean, st- look at look at how much money they paid to have Star the Star Wars number one everywhere. You're not going to get that kind of return from Doctor Who. So no, no one, you're, you're not. But I still think it it just proves the point of. Promotion is part of it. Brand is also part of it. Oh, yeah. Brand, it's, like it's you said, that notoriety is, is going to be a huge piece. And to come back to how um, promotion works in the comic industry, again, I, I still think that you take the number ones off the table. So no number ones. You're going based on serialized merit form from here on out. Does the promotion of two to three months out make as big of an impact if you take the number one off the table? Regardless, if you're Marvel, Image, DC, Titan, IDW, Dark Horse, Amalgam, Aardvark, and on. Does it make a difference? Or is it purely for the catalog that we pre-order two months out in? No, I, I think it makes a difference. I, I do. I do. But I don't think... But I don't think that the music industry promotion comparison is apt towards the comic market. I would agree. Um, I, but I, I think there are some bits of it that may be... But if anything, I think that those bits that are comparable will show that promotion works in comics for the reasons that it doesn't work in music. Sure. I'd agree with that. I agree with that. Um, 
I guess I, I, I do. I am interested. I am interested to hear because I, I truthfully don't think that um, by and large promotion two to three months out in previews catalog really moves the needle very much on ongoing titles. Um, the rare exception being when someone says, oh, Batman's going to propose to Catwoman, but it's already passed FOC. That kind of promotion will move a needle for an issue. But I don't think that promotion two to three months out is going to catapult a property onto a sustained new platform. It just doesn't happen. We know that. We have the numbers to show that. Well, the old way of promoting a comic would be, without a new number one, that is, back when it was done the right way, it would be promoted as new creative team, you know, a bold new direction, whatever you want to say. Um, new creative team, Warren Ellis and Mike Diodato, jumping on Thunderbolts. Thunderbolts was a book I loved. I didn't much care for the Warren Ellis run, but it sold a lot better. And it, it didn't jump into a new number one. It picked up at issue 114 or whatever it was, something like that. So I think you can... Proper prom- promotion can still sell comics, but everybody... Then I'm going to take it we back feel to like, this. We feel, you know what? I feel like the, the comic industry right now is like a bunch of crack addicts. And we're like, we keep hitting new lows. We keep hitting new lows, but we need to, we need to keep scoring. And every time we need to score, we keep hitting a new low. And I, I wish, I wish that we could get back to like being respectable, maybe like uh, hippies or something, just trying to score some some weed or something. You know what I mean? Like I don't want to. I, I, I hate the the analogy of the current comic market being like a bunch of alleyway junkies that keep hitting new lows. Like, let's just, there's a better way to do things. There's a better way. Let's go back to the new creative team, bold new direction. Don't relaunch the numbers. And if it, and if it doesn't work, then try a new creative team. But we don't keep, we don't need number ones. We don't need all this stuff. It's not promotion anymore. It's, it's gimmick. Why get a new creative team if that doesn't sell the book? We're not advocating drug use in any way, shape, or no, form. Gosh, no, gosh, no. Quite the opposite. Uh, if you need help, please seek it. Oh, yeah. Uh, but beyond that, if if creators don't sell books now, why do that? Because they could. I mean, we're talking about promotion. You could, you could make it work, but you have people to condition to look for. It's not going to be... People almost view it as not being a relaunch or a reboot, or a jumping-on point unless it's the first issue. That's, I mean, that's why. It's it's because of what we, what, I say we, it's because of what the publishers have conditioned people to view a jumping-on point as. And it's not, it's not that bold new direction anymore. It is... It's the all-new number one. All-new, all-different. Right. Right. Now. So they've, they've turned, like I said, every time it's like new lows, we need to just... Take things back to square one. Look at if you look at some of the most influential runs in comic books from back in the day. Frank Miller didn't get a new number one when he came on Daredevil. Frank Miller didn't get a new number one when he did Batman Year One. Um, Jim Starlin didn't get a new number one when he came on Captain Marvel. He did Warlock at issue nine. You know the, all these kind of groundbreaking runs that we that we grew up reading 
they weren't new number ones. Sure, there were some of them sprinkled in there, but they were they were books that people remember because of the creative team. Now, at the time, some of those guys were selling selling books based on their name, but some of them weren't. Some of them became classics after the fact. And I, I don't know. I just, I guess, I think more promotion would be a great thing, but they need to promote the right things. I agree. Okay. Any more thoughts? No. Let's go with our second question. The second question. Which was, what do we think of Chuck Rosansky and Mile High Comics pulling out of San Diego this year? Yeah. Well, um, obviously San Diego has not come yet, so it could still be an idle threat, but I think it's... Sounds pretty locked in this time. It was, yeah. It, well, and we say that, but he's made that threat before in 2015. Although, how many how many days away are we? Uh, it's like a like week and, week and, and a half. half? Yeah. yeah. So I think chances are when he posted it was probably when he had to make his decision. So a couple things uh, for those who aren't familiar with yeah. what he said. Well, maybe background on who they are. My, Mile High is... Out of Colorado. Denver. Large, large, large comic dealer. Chuck Rosansky is the guy who found the very famous Church Collection, also known as the Mile High Collection. Later on, got the Mile High 2 Collection, which was a giant warehouse of comic books. They are, I believe, still the lar- single largest back-issue dealer in the country. Um, Mile High has been around for 44 years. Or maybe more than that, but at least they said this is the 44th year that they would have done San Diego. San Diego. And they're not doing it. Now, if any of you have been to bigger shows, you've probably seen Mile High's boots before. They're huge. I think it was 70 feet or something like that. It's big. Yeah. It's it's very large. Well, we know the cost this year for him would have been $18,000. Right, right. He said the cost was 18000 this year versus back 16, in... 16500 last year, I think. Versus back in the seventies when it was forty you bucks, know, yeah, whatever it was back in the seventies, um, and that's kind of led to a lot of discussion about San Diego as a whole. Kind of talk that we've heard before, and I think even larger than San Diego, just comic conventions on the whole. Oh, for sure. But one of the things that Rosansky now he's, as we said, this is not the first time that he's put this kind of press release out. In twenty fifteen, he said he was going to do it. And one of the things that he kind of blamed for it back then was that people would, especially in San Diego, people would spend their money. They would they would prioritize getting con variants and things like that over coming over and shopping a mile high. Now he's saying it's still kind of the same thing, but there are a couple more reasons on top of it. One, that floor attendance is down. He's saying that even though Comic-Con attendance is at an all-time high, you have a large amount of those people that normally would have been on the floor walking around buying comics going to Hall H to check out, I don't know, Game Careers. of Thrones and Luke Cage and Jessica Jones and whatever. Uh, Game of Thrones and Jessica Jones rhymes. It does. It does. I, At the same time, the other... Well, and he said last year he had uh, a big delivery problem with his his basically his product not being delivered, even though it was supposedly there and checked in, but it wasn't delivered until hours before the show started or something. Yes, and I think that was because the dock workers union put a cap on when they were going to stop moving stuff, and 
his shipment happened to be later in the process, and so the dock workers hit their eight and a half and Uh walked off, and his, as well as a handful of other booths, were left for the next day. Okay, well. And they, and it's one of those things where I know in St. Louis, I, I ran into the issue when I was doing trade shows where uh, if the dock workers union says it's done, the dock is locked and you cannot get your stuff. It ha- You are not allowed to move the, the items to the floor. C2E2 at uh, McCormick is the same way. Yep. Either way, um, I think that he's saying that and, and that no one from the convention came up and apologized or acknowledged it or anything like that. Whatever. Yeah. I think he, but the, the bigger issue, I mean, it, if he was still making money, he would still go, you know, regardless of that snafu. I, the question that we have is, is what do we think about it? And it's yeah. a big question because there's a lot of stuff that I, I have to say about it. One, I think that Mile High, having seen them at many shows and seeing, having seen them at San Diego, I think there's a reason that they're not – I don't think – we could talk about their prices. And I don't want to sit here and talk about other dealers at all, but their prices are notoriously high. Well, and I think – you. why don't you explain how Rosansky said he prices his items? Yeah, it's and this is this is straight from the horse's mouth, and, and you can watch the video on YouTube. That he'll price he'll price an item if it sells. The next one they get, they'll price higher, and they'll keep raising the price on something until it doesn't sell, and then you've reached your your price cap. It's an I I mean, it's certainly an idea, mm-hmm. you know, the, and it it sounds like it's worked for him. He he's a guy that is in the comic industry will be more successful than we are. It's, and it's, we'll yeah. have, and, and we'll, you know, we're, we're little fish. He's a big fish. There's no doubt. Now, are we going to find a church collection that might change things? Probably won't. But, um, the, the comic industry as a whole, I think it's so disingenuous to compare San Diego con now, or even five years ago to what it was in the seventies and eighties, because the, in addition to the entire makeup of the show changing, the, the comic market itself has changed. You know, and, and you can't... I think they still bring product based on assuming that you're going to have your 80s and 90s clientele that are walking around with a giant um, notebook, college rule notebook of back issues that they need to fill. And that they're willing to pay Overstreet to get those back issues, those non-keys. And it doesn't work that way anymore. It doesn't work that way. The The market has shifted towards keys. I know that San Diego is too expensive for people to just bring dollar books. If you're a vendor, you need to maximize what, you're, what you are stocking your expensive space with. So San Diego, you need to bring you know, high dollar stuff or high volume stuff and from what, what I've seen that they have brought, it's in, instead of... It's high I dollar, see, but not high value. Yeah, cases. I see that the complaint that San Diego has changed too much. But just like anything, if you don't, if you don't adapt, you're going to die. And I don't think Mile High, and, and I've been going to shows for 20-some years, I don't think Mile High has changed or, or adapted to what the comic industry, at least it shows... To what the comic industry is leaning towards now, I don't. 
they're not bringing keys, you know, and uh, it's a key market. It is a key market. If you're at San Diego, you should be bringing a lot of high dollar keys with you and not random issues of shadow of the bat that you've got priced six or seven dollars, but you're running them at half off. Yeah. And I think that I think that's part of it. I also think that part of the issue is just the cost of entry. And that cost of entry is being hyperinflated. Um, and I think San Diego is is the prime uh, the prime con that's guilty of this and not and not guilty in a bad way, just it's what's happened, is that because of its proximity to Hollywood, to LA, mm-hmm. um, the premium that people have put on the brand of San Diego Comic Con, everyone assumes that the next biggest thing is gonna be shared at San Diego Comic Con. Sure. By and large. And so what you've built up well, is promoted as such. Exactly. Promotions. And so what you see is if everyone's expecting this and people are flocking to it, well, of course, all of your money is going to get poured into it, right? So you get the Alex Ross two-story booth. You get the Marvel, you know, 60 foot by 100 foot screen or whatever it is. You get those things. And when you have companies that are going to throw that kind of money around, it's very easy to keep upping that price until, just like a Rosansky book, oh, that's the price that people are willing to pay, right? So what has what has happened is uh, I think it's taken some of the comic out of the convention. And so we went to San Diego last year, and we talked about this a little bit before we started recording. Um like we do most topics, just to kind of mm-hmm. get the juices flowing and kind of see where each of us are coming from. And, you know, I do fervently believe that as a convention for comic books, San Diego is not the best convention at all. If you're there to see incredibly high-priced, high-grade, highly sought-after keys that you'll never be able to pay for or own, there ain't a better show in the world to go to because they're there. And those booths are going to make their show by selling one, maybe two of those books, which is awesome. But by and large, for average Joe comic reader so and collector, it's not a show to go to with a big wad of money, hoping to come back with a bunch of good deals and a lot of comic books. It's not a comic buying show, is what right. you're getting. At. I, I think that it is if you're in the right market. Mm-hmm. I don't think that it's a comic buying show for the guy that's looking for the booth that has two hundred one dollar long boxes. Right. That's it's not a diggers show. It's really. It's a show where you're going for keys, like you said. However, it is, of all the conventions I've been to, There's you won't find more talent, more top-level talent in one place um, at one time. And and that is, depending on what you're coming from in the comic book world, that is important. But if you're going... It's the best comic convention that I've been to in my my life. Sure. However, the the one thing that was disheartening to me, I guess, was... um, it was exciting in the moment and then stepping back after going and seeing that, you know, two thirds of that floor in, and this is not a, this is a gross generalization, but two thirds of that floor was junk dealers. Like if I don't see another Funko pop in my life, I won't be disappointed after seeing the show. If I don't see another booth with wigs, tails and wings, I won't be disappointed. Yeah, but I didn't see a lot of that at San Diego. I saw a lot of it at C2E2. You were not in the same place I was at San Diego then because we passed through a ton of it. But okay. but the other part of it too is I'm not an action figure collector. So for me, sure. there was three aisles that I didn't 
really need to see, right? It wasn't, it, it didn't do much for me. And I think that what San Diego is, is it's a comprehensive pop culture mecca. Whereas when people think Comic-Con, they go back to the 1973 version of what Comic-Con was, and they can think that it's a book buying fair. And, and that's not necessarily what it is anymore. To your point, though, Rosansky is still in 1973. It's not, like you said, it hasn't changed. We went and we looked just to see what he had, thinking maybe it was a little different than what we saw at C-32 well, we, or Wizard I, or wherever, and it wasn't. example. Um, Max Landis, before we went to see him, we went to see if we could get uh, Superman American Alien. Mm-hmm. Any copies for him to sign. Now, at the time, the jock cover, and I think it was the variant for three, were heating up. But the, the first issue was going for about $5 on eBay, not, not a huge premium. They had the regular... A cover, not a one to twenty-five, for twenty-eight dollars, but it was half off. So after you bought it for half off, it was only fourteen dollars. On top of that, you had to pay tax. That's here nor there. I could go either way with people charging that at shows, but fourteen dollars, you know, for that book, it was absurd. If it was fourteen and it was half off, maybe I would have considered it. You know, it's my fault for not bringing something for this guy to sign, but I didn't even know he was going to be there. Now, in this instance, it's um, supply and demand. The supply was there, but my demand for it wasn't enough to make me pay that. So it sat in a box unpurchased. Right. And just thankfully enough, we got Green Valley Ash Cans that you got signed. We did. We did. Um, I think the biggest... What I take away out of all this stuff, though, is this idea that, that comes out that San Diego is just for people that want to go and watch uh, a trailer and it see a panel of TV. Absolutely not. It is. You can do that. The stuff that. The stuff that is there, first off, let's make this, let's tackle the complaint that people want to, you're, you're going for the comic experience and half the people that are buying tickets going are to going age. to Hall H. Now, when you're a vendor and you're selling product, okay, that it's a, a That's legitimate potential. Group. Right. It's a legitimate complaint. But if you're, if you are going as an attendee, who cares? Why do you Why do you care about that? As an attendee, it's better because right. half of the people are trampling where you are. Half of the people are on a completely different level on the other end of the convention. So why do you, as, an, as a congoer, care? It's people just jumping on the bandwagon to complain about it. And I think generally it tends to be a lot of people that have never been there that are kind of throwing this complaint around that it's just a movie and TV show con. Now, I apologize if it's... If you are someone who has been there or had been going there and you fervently disagree with me, um, awesome. I'm just going according to my personal experience there. But with my frame of reference, yeah, there's a lot of, of, of junk set up that we're not interested in. But the comic stuff that is there, if you compare it to any other show, the ratio of top quality. Artist Alley, like we talked about on our podcast about San Diego. Artist Alley that they had there, it's... There's no, there's no junk there. It is all name creators, you know. So who cares if it's smaller than, you know, nine tenths of the shows that you go to that also have an artist alley? There's nobody se- selling this. I heard people talking about artist alley at San Diego um, being made up by people that just sell prints. I didn't see a single one. <laughs> it's Not like the artist alley we went. Chris to. Claremont. Peter David, 
Jay Scott uh, Campbell, right. Art Adams, Mark Brooks, right. Ed McGinnis, exactly. Grant Morrison, Ed Rubaker. I can go on. So I hear these arguments from people, and I think I tend to think that a lot of this narrative that people are framing about San Diego is by people that aren't there or, or haven't or gone. people that are stuck in 1973. Sure, I mean, sure. And, and I will freely admit that I wish there was more comics there as far as tangible comics that were back issues to look through, just because I find that fun, but. It was still probably the best show that I've ever been to. No doubt about it. The experience was unbelievable. And if we lived closer to San Diego, I think we'd be going every year. Oh, there's no doubt. No doubt. But again, why? If you if people know that, then why go? If, if, and I think people are making a with, conscious decision in some cases about that, which is fine. That's good for them if they can if they wanted to make that decision. Sure. Uh, now, I view, the, I view Mile High pulling out of San Diego... As an opportunity, look at look at it this way: if he used seven boots, eight, seven or eight boots, that whole front wall in that section. Let's say that he had seven boots. That is an opportunity now for seven vendors that have never been to San Diego or haven't been able to get into San Diego for a long, long time to come in and offer different product. You know, or maybe four vendors will take up the the seven space, or who knows how they're how it's going to happen. But it's kind of natural selection. And if they can't adapt to the needs of what San Diego, what the San Diego con goers are looking for, then they're going to step out and that void is going to be filled with someone who's going to come in and will fill those needs. Yep. And if they don't do well, then the same thing's going to happen. But I don't view this, to answer the question, I don't view it as a bad thing. No. And I view it as kind of perpetuating this narrative that San Diego is just a bunch of people getting face paint and um, Jessica Jones promotional posters. You know, it's it's not. There's so much more to it. I mean, you can get both of those. You can. But, but that we, is such a small percentage of what the show is. Exactly. Exactly. It's just like anything else. Yes. It is what you make of it. And if you go there and you complain that there are too many movie and TV booths, you're not going to enjoy it. If you go there and you do what we did and you enjoy the comic experience, and you walk around and you talk to Grant Morrison and... Or he draws a Batman in your sketchbook. Yeah, I mean, the the, the comic experience that you can get there is second to none. Can we speak firsthand about San Diego compared to five years ago? No, but, no. but again, personal experience, if you don't... If you, if you don't adapt... To what the show is, it's natural selection, and in from yeah. Mile High at this point, it's natural selection. They the, the show doesn't work for what they want to do, and they don't want to work with what the show has become. So they're out, they're done. Yeah, and that's and it's better it than out having, for everyone. Yeah, it's better than having a disgruntled booth owner. It's better than having, you know, these wild articles being posted here, there, everywhere. You know that ultimately, in my opinion, don't make any. They don't make anybody look good. No, I mean they make one person look worse than others, but um, you know it's it's just it's a shame. I, the one analogy I'll make to to San Diego is if you want to think about San Diego versus kind of more of a local convention, you're, it's basically like Universal Islands of Adventure versus the carnival that comes into town on the Fourth of July. One will get you what you want: the rides, the little midway, and the other one is just sensory overload. Mm-hmm. No, it's it's true. It's true. And 
people tend to uh, look at everything that surrounds San Diego too. You have the hotels, you know, mm-hmm. these massive hotels and restaurants and buildings. Gas that are, lamp districts. Yeah, they're plastered over with giant TV advertisements and stuff. And that's not cheap. You know, it, it turns into a giant advertisement. And gigantic blow-up Powerpuff Girls. Yeah, that's right. Those are huge. Those are huge. So it is what you make of it. I think yes. that San Diego is, if you want to go, if you've been on the fence about going. It's a bucket list convention. Go. You should go to it. You should not listen to this to these naysayers that talk right. about that it's, it is not a comic show anymore because it most assuredly is. There is other stuff there. It's a comic-based show. It's not a dollar bin searching show. It's but, not Wizard World. It's but, the, right. But what you will see are you will see things that you won't find at other conventions like original Frazetta oil paintings. Mm-hmm. You will find, you know, obviously there's the, the San Diego Con exclusives, but you'll see, you know, an Action Comics Unlike, one. Okay, you'll here's see, another thing. Unlike know, most shows, you can you could spend two hours charting out where the exclusives are and you can resell them to cover your entire trip mm-hmm. if you do it right. There's no other show you can go to that, that has that. Because of the sheer offering of product at the show. Yep. And people complain about con exclusive variants, but instead of complaining about them, harness them, use them, take advantage of it. Buy them, you're there, go back to your hotel room, list them on eBay, and sell them. Yep. You know, and and pay for your hotel room that way. Yep. You can do it, but it's for a lot of people, it's just easier to complain. And again, if. If you're on the fence about going to San Diego and you read this negative stuff, this negative coverage talking about how it's, it's, uh, and I saw a lot of stories uh, talking about this in non-comic media. For whatever reason, this Mile High thing got picked up by a lot of different media outlets. And I saw comments from people talking about how I would never go to San Diego. It's just movie con now. It's comic con uh, in name only and stuff. it's, It's not. Right. And, these, and you can tell that it's either sour grapes from people that know that they're never going to go out to it or have no clue and they're just venting on a message board. They're just talking. And, and I now, think- you see, now, when we – last year, John Mayo has been – and was it 25 of them or 20 of them? Something, yeah. A couple so decades. I think if anybody should weigh into this, it would be it would be John Mayo. I'd like to hear his opinion. And he does a con recap every year. So after this year at con, he will provide his recap. Yeah. Well, we should we should uh, ask him to answer this Rosansky question. Please. Sure. And I, th- I think I want to round up one more thing on the Rosansky item. You, you kind of hit on you need to change with the times, and it doesn't matter if you're going to San Diego Comic Con or the Burnham Bowl which is a local con here that's about the size of our shop, it feels like sometimes. Oh, yeah. Maybe a little bit bigger. But, um, you know, we go to basically four shows mm-hmm. around here. You've got Burnham, you've got Serb Hall, you've got Mighty Con Milwaukee, Mighty Con Madison. Those are kind of the four that we can hit very frequently if we choose. And we know that not a single one of them is the same. Right. We know what people are looking at at each one. We know We have a plan going in of what we're going to take, and it's different. And... If you're a vendor at a convention, you need to adapt with that. You need to know that what you take to New York Comic Con may not work the same at Wizard World Chicago, which may not work the same at C2E2 in Chicago, mm-hmm. which may not work at San Diego, Emerald City, Wizard World Austin. Everything is different. You're, you've got different clientele. You have different expectations. So when you go to San Diego, if you've got media tie-in hype, if you've got keys of first appearances for the next Marvel movie or the next Marvel TV show... Yeah, you're probably going to want to take that. 
right? You might just want to leave all of that obscure indie comic, you know, printings from the 90s. You may just want to leave that at home because it's probably not going to go as well. Or your back catalog stuff that was hot in the 80s and 90s that nobody... People remember, people just are not seeking out. Some people are, but the majority of congoers, and this is coming from people who sell at at least two shows a month, are not hunting down to fill those giant runs of whatever five hundred issue book that they're trying to collect. They don't. You get a a couple of them, but on average, people are looking at say ninety percent of the people that go to shows. They're looking for keys, or they're looking for dollar boxes and that is it and you can bring you could bring a gigantic back catalog of stuff priced to guide like mile high did but the the market has been has been gone for 15 years for that kind of shop by and large they are extinct yep i mean they're there but yeah the percentage wise it's so low right it's just not worth it's not worth investing your booth money in that low of a percentage of potential. Now, the other thing was, talk about what he addressed in 2015, uh, was the variant cover thing. Here's here's a thought. Now, you're Mile High, and I know that Mile High does their own Mile High variants for books, but why wouldn't you, if, you, if you're saying that you have a hard time competing with everybody selling all the variant covers in San Diego, then you wait... And, and do your A-game variants for San Diego, right? Why not line up for Friday? You're going to drop your Adam Hughes Mile High variant. Saturday, you're going to drop J. your Scott J. Scott Campbell. Campbell. Sunday, you're going to drop Matina. your Matina or Delato or whatever. And every single day, you're going to have those people lining up. If I had that kind of infrastructure set up, I would be doing that. Not to mention, your Mile High, you have... A so mail, much. you have a mail order um, infrastructure set up that if you don't sell stuff at the shows, you can you can sell it at the uh, sell it online, yep. sell it through the mail, and it's a big it's adapt or die, you yep. know. And I just don't think that they adapted. I agree. Anything else? Nope. I didn't. I didn't finish my Goose Island. <laughs> All right, so uh, you know, thank you for those that submitted those questions. Uh, we've got, I think, we've got two or three more decent ones yet. Waiting we've got wings, a so. lot of, yeah, a lot of good content that people have been wanting to uh, ask. So. Yeah, so we're going to keep putting stuff out. We are going to, uh, you know, be back hopefully next week with another episode. And as always, actually, we did kind of suggest it. If you uh, know someone who is interested in comics and kind of likes that retailer side or the other side of things you know feel free to share this with them uh five star reviews on itunes always help so that people can find us easier uh, because we know we're in high demand people Mm -hmm. are always looking for us but at least we tell ourselves that oh and people can shoot us because i know people always want to know they can shoot us an audio question yes absolutely we will definitely play it so if you want to record that you can email it to podcast at cloudmongacomics.com otherwise just send us a question and it's less work you can go to our Facebook page, hit us up there, and send us questions. That that works well. You can come um, in the store and ask questions, too. Yeah, which, oh, by the way, speaking of coming in the store, we had two friends from Arizona, Arizona? stop in. I wasn't able to be here. James, you popped down. Um, 
So it's a shame we forgot to write down their names. And I, pop, so, I popped down from the local tavern where yeah, I had been so, for several hours. So, so we, you know. We, yeah. For those of you that were here, thank you so much for coming. Yeah, um, absolutely. It was, if, it was a blast meeting you. And if you shoot us your names, we'll definitely call them out of the next recording. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> but, uh, I yeah. think there was a Michael. All right. But, Safe bet. Yeah. But we always love having uh, listeners, friends, and family. Full, full disclosure, I live close enough to walk to the bar and the store, so. That's right. Yeah. I don't. I'm a drive away. It's very true. But uh, yeah. So I think with that, we'll go ahead and wrap this up. Call Let's it wrap it up. All right. We will talk to you all next time. On behalf of all of us, thank you for listening to this episode of the Cowcast. You can find us on all the main social media outlets, including Facebook at facebook.com slash Incredicow, on Twitter at Incredicow, or on Instagram at Cowabunga Comics. To send an email to us directly, send it to podcast at cowabungacomics.com, or to join in the discussion, you can hop on our new Cowabunga Comics forum at forums.cowabungacomics, that's cowabunga with a K, dot com. 